welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name is Daniel Yang, the director of the Sen Institute, and we're excited to have with us today Sarah Zielstra. Sarah is a senior writer for the Gospel Coalition, where she oversees coverage of faith and work. She earned her master's degree in journalism from Northwestern University. And for more than a decade, Sarah reported news for Christianity Today prior to joining TGC. And along with Colin Hansen, Sarah is the co-author of Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. She lives in Chicago uh, with her husband and two sons. But before we hear from Sarah, I want to remind you about the Amplify Outreach Conference coming October 19th and 20th. Amplify Outreach is designed for pastors and Christians passionate about entering the real issues of our day and helping people discover authentic faith in Christ. So be sure to learn more about the conference at AmplifyOutreach.com. Now let's go to our host, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and the Executive Director of Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, Ed Stetzer. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, and we are excited to have Sarah and kind of join our conversation. They, they, Sarah and Colin have written a book together. And by the way, to be fair, I knew her from Christianity Today, so that helped, which we both have left at this point. But that's a, another story and not an indictment on anybody or anything. But um, but what we, um, what, what I, was, you, I first heard about your book when you emailed me and asked to use a chart in, in the book. So, oh, what are you writing on? So we got to find out a little bit more. So the, the joy of getting a little bit advanced notice and, but found the whole topic, the theme you're writing to be super helpful in a time when for a lot of Christians, there's a high level of confusion about the moment we're in and the mission we're on. So I want to I want to kind of just zoom in just a bit and just have you begin to start telling us a little bit uh, the, the process, the thought process. Okay, why do Christians need uh, this book at this time? And you and Colin are having a conversation. How does it get there? Why does it matter? First of all, Ed, I can't tell you how often I use that chart. Um, I wish we could show it if we've ever put this up in video because I use it constantly. It has been the single most helpful thing um, to explain to people what exactly is happening in our culture. Um, so thank you for Gracious. making that chart in the first place. Um, so I think, you know, and, and that chart sort of explains in it, you explain like, Hey, the number of people who are atheists today is about 6% of the population, but you know what? That's not changing. It's been like 6% of the population for decades and decades and decades now. And the percent of people who are what we would call committed Christians, people who, um, say God is important to them, who pray, who go to church, um, that percentage of the population, it's about 25% has always been about the same as well. Those are those two numbers on the extremes are not changing. It's that in between um, maybe those Christmas and Easter Christians that are changing. And as they sort of lessen, loosen their grasp on Christianity, that's why culture is able to shift so quickly. So thank you, Ed, for making that clear to us. I think as we're sitting at the Gospel Coalition, watching this very rapid change in culture, Wow, it hasn't, you know, it's been, I think, less than 20 years, maybe even less than 10 years since um, homosexual marriage has even been legal. And look at how quickly we've pivoted on that. It seems like such a quick way for us to be, for the church to be pushed farther and farther into the margins. It used to be like, um, boy, acting Christianly was maybe a little bit weird. Oh, you're staying celibate until marriage. But now even thinking Christianly is weird. 
isn't that abusive to even think that that would be true? Um, and so to, to feel more and more squished as Colin and I were sitting watching that happen. And it was really props to Colin for the idea of it. He was reading through Romans and thinking, man, the church has always been in the margins. It's not like this is a new place for the church to be. She was born on the edges of society. So what, where can we get our encouragement? It's the same place. We go back to Romans to Paul and, and take his same encouragement. How should we behave here? Um, where do we find our joy here? And, and we can find it, right? It's just been sitting there for 2000 years is our advice on this. Yeah, I love it. I, the 2009, the conversation in and around gay marriage, since you, since you mentioned uh, gay marriage at the beginning, the conversation around gay marriage was, um, you know, how does my gay marriage hurt you? 2009. In uh, 2021, the conversation is, why should your college remain accredited if you're going to be holding these antiquated and dangerous views and more? So the, the graph people uh, can see, we'll drop them in our show notes, so you'll be able to see there. Um, and you'll see the graph there. But it also is, it's actually based on a USA Today article, though I don't mention that in the graph itself, where I was asked to talk about four quartiles of culture and convictional Christian uh, congregational Christian, loosely affiliated, cultural Christian, and non-Christian. And what happened is this used to kind of be a home team, and then the home team sort of shifted, and now the 25% who are religious and practicing their religion regularly, it's shaping their lives, are now on the wrong side of the cultural divide from the culture's perspective. Uh, sexuality is certainly there. We haven't even talked about gender identity. Um, so, And you address that some in Gospel Bound. But it can feel a bit like um, people are feeling besieged by their views and so they seem to be responding in different ways you're actually calling for a specific way for us to respond some are responding by you know getting discipled by their cable news and riled up by their social media and we're gonna fight and we're gonna how we fight you know i guess we all think about we're fighting in some ways uh we just might think the weapons of warfare are not are not physical but spiritual um so how might you in a big picture maybe having people people haven't read the book yet we do want to encourage you to get a copy of Gospel Bound. But how would you say in a big picture, this is how we're telling you to address the cultural moment? Yeah, um, probably this stuff isn't gonna surprise you. We just took right out, straight out of Romans, we gave each, um, each chapter a little piece of advice. Um, so for example, live with honor, suffer with joy, care for the weak, uh, set another seat at the table. And then we, we talked about a, a little bit about each one of those. And then we've just filled up the chapters with stories of people who are doing those things. Um, sometimes it can feel, um, especially since we are a people who click on negative news for whatever reason, that's how we're designed. We always do it. Um, so it feels like everything's negative all the time. Um, but there's more to the story. It is not Christians are doing beautiful things. God is working in amazing ways all over the world. And so we wanted to lay out examples like these aren't, aren't, you know, some of them are from history, but lots of them are happening right now today in ways that people are living in the margins just by following what the scripture says and, um, you know, less time on social media and more time um, out helping people and caring for people. You know, Sarah, you, we've heard the phrase uh, negative news sells, um, but from your estimation, I mean, why do you think that uh, we tend to focus on negative news specifically around Christianity and, and culture right now? I know, you know, it's like, scientifically proven they they did a study and even if you say you like positive news better because objectively that's what we would say if you said that to us 
But when people are looking at negative news, their, their heart rate changes, um, their, their skin changes, like, right. The perspiration on their skin changes. Um, it, it kicks into that fight or flight, um, instinct inside of us. And we want to do something to settle that down. And we click on the story to find out what's going on. When you look at a positive news story, you get the same physical reaction as when you look at a blank gray screen, Mm. nothing changes in you. Like there's no heart rate change. You're just like, Oh, that's nice. And then you move on to the next thing. Um, so there's, there's something biologically in us that draws us to that negative news. I think part of the problem is, you know, it used to just be like, Hey, you'd hear the negative news, maybe in your own town or your own city. Um, you could bring a meal to somebody or pray for somebody or, Oh, I'll pick up your kids. You could do something about it. And I think that's what sort of mitigated that feeling inside of us. Um, but now the, you know, more and more communication now it's in your pocket, right? You can get negative news every second from any corner of the world and it can be horrific and there's nothing that you can do about it. Um, and of course this is, you know, we're the, we're people too. So the same thing happens in the church where, um, if you see something negative, something that's not the way that it's supposed to be, you, you get that reaction as well. Um, which is why those negative news stories, we, we just tend to go to those. Yeah, and, and people are shaped by those hours upon hours and hours. And of course, you know, cable news has learned if you frame it negatively. I mean, you know, I, I remember when I first got word from someone at CNN that they were going to move away from, you know, hard news and, you know, embrace kind of the magazine shows. And that draws people. There's a reason because of ratings, you know, Fox news because of ratings and in all of the MSNBC, whoever, uh, anger, Drives people, bad news drives people. You drive by 100 cars, but you'll stop and see the one that's on fire. Um, so we know that the reality is all around us of the brokenness. But you're calling Christians, you and Colin are calling Christians in, and again, the, the book is Gospel Bound. Um, you note that I'm quoting from the book, the key to living with resolute hope, and that's an important phrase throughout, the key to living with resolute hope is to think big and small at the same time. So I need how can you think big and small at the same time? You're talking at both sides of your mouth, Sarah. Let's just be honest. What does that mean? How does that work? <laughs> let me let me let me break it down for you. Um, I like that. Yeah, break it down. If you're gonna do it, I like that. This is why we have Sarah. On, she <laughs> breaks it down for us. Right? She's been breaking it down for decades. All right, bring it, break it down. Come on. <laughs> So by thinking big, we're not thinking nationally or even internationally. I'm talking big, like the story of creation, like the story of all of history and God's work. So from creation, um, the fall, um, Jesus on the cross, the, the resolution part we're living in now, maybe you guys have, I don't know if you've noticed that that actually follows the story arc that your teacher pointed out to you in seventh grade when she drew that arc on the, on the board and it was the setting the conflict, right? And then you grow up to the climax. And then after that is just the tail end. And every one of our stories, every movie you watch, every novel you read follows that same pattern. It's all just pattern. It's just imaging God. That's the the storyline that we live in. So if you think really big like that, we've already had the creation. We've already had the conflict. We know there's sin in the world. We've even already had the climax of the story where Jesus died for us. So we are living in the tail end of the story. And if you know stories, that's actually the most relaxed part of the movie or of the book that you're reading is when everything, we're just tying up loose ends at this point, um, right? We already know what what's happening. We already know that we're, we don't have to wonder, is God going to save us? How is God going to save us? How is this going to work? I don't even know if he's coming to you. We have, it already happened. So we're just living in that tail part. So if you think that big, um, it should really take a load off of you. You should really be relaxed thinking about it that way. 
And then if you're thinking about being small, what we're really thinking is like, if you can pull your circle in little and just, you know, maybe only follow the people on social media that you actually know and care about in real life. And maybe just like when you go out and talk to your neighbors and live in your neighborhood, studies show that people are stressed out about our our federal government, but they're not very much stressed out about their own city council. Maybe I guess if you lived in Chicago or something, but in my own suburb, we're not, right? You're worried about education as a whole in America. Man, it looks like it's terrible, but your own school where your kids are, you're not worried about that. Um, and so they're just over and over again, like the, that big stuff we're worried about, but the closer we bring it into ourselves, the less worrisome it is. And I think that's a clue for where we can turn our attention because we can do something there. Right. So think about maybe I could, you know, go for a walk with my neighbor when she's out walking her dog. Maybe I could have, you know, that, that couple over for dinner. Maybe we could volunteer at our food pantry that's down the street. Maybe I could run for my own city council. Um, just the ways to get involved in your, could I, you know, t- tutor a kid in my public school that's down the street, those kinds of ways to get involved. That's what's going to move the needle. Like that's where God has placed you in your own neighborhood. And so if you can just look at all the things as small as you can possibly think, could I just smile at somebody today? Could I talk to somebody new at church? Um, could I be kind to the grocery store clerk? Like those small things that's manageable. You can do that. You cannot rescue at least I cannot a single girl from the Taliban right now, but I can come right back down small and like give a donation to my local pregnancy center mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously throughout the faithful presence idea, you know, that, that being there, um, making that local significant difference. And of course we can give in places, you know, you mentioned Afghanistan, you know, we, we've talked with world relief and others and, and there are ways we can and, and do engage there. Um, I guess the, question becomes in a situation like that if if we're pointing to the meta narrative creation fall redemption and restoration right this big picture of god at work the gospel uh in the big picture of the gospel in the in the, in the grand narrative and then individually you know god human christ's response that individual conversion and in place both are present in what you're writing so that's I, I, again i love gospel bound living with resolute hope in an anxious age, because part of what you point to is sharing that hope. Part of it points to how we need that hope. So how do we, when we don't feel that way, this is a very anxious time. This is a very divided time. David Brooks will drop this article in there. talks about we're in a cultural convulsion. And this may be the hardest time pastors and church leaders have ever led. So that's our audience. So how do you help them have that resolute hope when people are mad at them for every decision they're making at a level they've never had before. It's just true. It's a hard time to be a pastor. Um, I think the more that they can encourage their congregation to a show up in person, um, there's just something to the embodiment of leaving live stream and being with other people that, that brings that local aspect to it and helps to settle things down. And you're less angry at someone when you're looking at their face or they're explaining to you why they're thinking things through the way that they are. So the more that you can pull people together, the better. I also think I was talking to um, a gentleman in New York about, um, you know, it's almost the 9-11 20th anniversary. So I was talking to him about his experience there. And he said, um, he went to a counselor and she told him, then you have to stop reading the New York times because every day they do obituaries of every, they did an obituary for every person who was killed. Um, and he grew up in New York. And so he knew a lot of the names and it just like the daily, 
uh, sadness and evil and horror of it, um, over and over and over again is like, that's discipling and forming you. So your people, as I'm sure every pastor is fully aware are discipled and formed by their media intake. Um, so I just encourage those, if you're a person, <laughs> if you're a person listening, um, watch carefully what you're, what's forming you, um, be, be aware of those influences and be aware of how much time you're giving to those. I wish I had a better, oh, it's good answer. easier answer. Yeah. You know, Sarah, a lot of, uh, what we're facing right now, I mean, it's, it's really fear and anxiety of the situation around us. I mean, everybody's feeling that. Uh, do you think Christians are feeling that in a very specific way? Um, and you know, what are what are some of the things as you're uh, as you guys wrote Gospel Bound? What are some of the characteristics that you think uh, Christians uh, should have uh, as they're dealing with uh, anxiety and fear? Yeah, I do think Christians are feeling it in a specific way. I do think there's as our culture moves um, away from cultural Christianity and those but those base assumptions that were rooted in in Christ, even if people weren't aware of them. Um, as those shift and as reality underneath us shifts, right? Like, is, is this a boy or is this a girl? Those basic reality things change. Um, that is a scary, it's a scary place for everyone. Um, but especially if you're going to be on the, on the wrong end of a viral social media post, or the, you know, you said something wrong. Um, and now the whole world is, is coming after you. That's a really scary place to be. So I think that anxiety is real and I don't think that it is wrong. I think Christians who can root themselves in the Bible, who can spend their time, um, praying every day, who really hold on to those spiritual practices, um, and then who walk those out, who, who choose to live with honor, who choose to be, keep their sex inside of marriage, who choose to suffer with joy, who choose to pray for their enemies, who choose to, um, you know, care for the weak and do those, those hands-on things. Those, that's, those are all hallmark, hallmarks of Christianity. That's, that's just what followers of Jesus will look like. The book is Gospel Bound, uh, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. Uh, Sarah, as you, you give some examples, and one of my favorite things about the your writing is your rich use of story. Uh, Colin's okay, too, but I, I, I'm <laughs> talking about your writing here for just a moment. Colin's got a lot of words, but anyway. Um, <laughs> he does you, have a lot of words. He does got a lot of words. So I, and it's actually <laughs> funny. I was uh, The first time I was ever in Christianity today, was a article by Colin, which basically says the North American Mission Board declined to make Ed Stetzer available for comment because of the controversy that was involved in the article. So I'd like to thank Colin for that first mention in any national news story. I think he was 12 at the time or something. Um, but people are all going to Google it, but it's related to the Rise and Fall of Marzell podcast. So one of the stories you include your book in your in the, in the book was um, how a predominantly white church merged with a predominantly black church in Iowa. Um, and it's kind of a great story. So tell us more about how the relationship began, what was the result, and just unpack the story for us, because I think it points to the kind of thing you're talking about in Gospel Bound. Oh, yeah. this Yes, I love this. There's a bunch of good stories in here, but this is one of my favorites, so I'm glad you asked. Um, we actually met, Colin actually met these guys at a, at a TGC event in Iowa, um, and as he was listening to them, he's like, we have to tell this story. This is insane. So there's a, a city in Iowa that's called Cedar Rapids, and it's almost entirely white. Most of Iowa is, is white. That's just the farmers who settled there. And then when the great migration came up from the South, um, they're, they're just, they went to cities to get jobs. And there just is not a lot of African-Americans in Iowa. And there's not a lot in this town. 
Um, and so there was a pastor in this town and his name was Daniel and he, he pastored a predominantly white church, but he really wished his church was multi-ethnic because he wanted it to look like the kingdom of God. But so he talked to his people about it. He preached the gospel. He was trying to reach out, but no matter what he did, very, very few African-American people would walk in the door. And there was another pastor in this town and his name was Rod. And he had um, an African-American church in this town. And he, I love him the most because he said, you know, I really wanted to reach out to my city. And I knew in order to do that, we were going to have to reach white people too. And I just give him props for that because especially in a city that's almost all white to have a, you know, at least one sanctuary, a place where your culture can be really free. And um, that I just feel like to give that up is a huge, is like props to them. That's a big sacrifice. So he's also trying to do the same thing. And he became, these two guys became friends with each other. And it wasn't a big deal. This is like pastors all over. They'd get together once in a while and pray. Um, and then after a while of praying together and they weren't praying to join, they were just praying like, Hey, you've got this church. I've got this church. Let's talk about our families and our, and let's pray together once in a while. And then they started doing a pulpit swap once in a while. One would preach at the other guy's pulpit and everybody liked that. And then they decided to do an Easter service together. And so these two guys are sitting in the empty pews, watching these Easter, their choirs join and practice together. And, and one of them, the pastor of the black church was saying, you know, both these churches are growing and healthy, by the way, um, this black church pastor is saying, you know, I just, we're getting too big for our space. Um, it's also old, like our, our people, we need elevators and stuff. So I need a different place, but everybody, everywhere I look is too big and too small. It doesn't fit. Um, I was just looking at this other place the other day and it was just too big. It just won't work for us. And I'm getting really discouraged. And the, the white pastor, Daniel looked over at him and he said, you know, it wouldn't be too big if we did it together. And there was a moment of silence and Daniel thought, I am the world's biggest idiot. I can't believe I opened my mouth and said that. Why would I, like, we've never talked about this before. Why would I just offer this out of the blue? He probably thinks I'm ridiculous. Um, but Rod looked back at him and he said, you know, I was actually thinking the same thing. Wow. Um, so these pastors went back to their wives and said, what if we joined our, our churches, which is so weird. You hear of churches joining, but almost always either one or both is dying and is in trouble. Um, so to have two churches that are both growing, come together is just totally off, off the wall. And then their, their wives said, okay. And then they went to their councils and their councils also said, let's explore it. Let's be open to this. And then they went to their congregations and it was above 90% approval rate from both congregations that they would join together. So they did, they came together in one church. It was rough. I'm not telling you it was easy. Um, they each had their own stories to tell. The worship was very difficult as you can imagine to get that exactly right. They managed to keep all the staff um, and they started working together. And then I called them. I don't know if you guys remember the derecho that went through Iowa yeah. last year. I called them when that happened. And I was like, you guys, okay. Because it knocked over like every tree in their town. And they were like, oh yeah, what we did with our old campus is they've been doing outreach out of the other, they moved into the bigger church. And so they had a smaller church in it and they left and they turned it into an outreach center. And they had been, they like people could plug in there. They were running meals out of there for people. They were passing out water bottles. They were like, we have just been able to do so much, so much with this other campus. Um, it's just a beautiful way of God moving in an unexpected way. If they were, they were just both open, um, and, and their merging has drawn a lot of interest and no, new people to their church. And now they're starting to feel more and more like a single unit, like a family together. It's good. You know, I mean, so much of our culture, uh, 
the, the cultural issues and the hostility that pastors have to deal with are, I mean, that's tr a tremendous like burden they have to carry. And that story is, a, is an amazing illustration of how creative solutions kind of help pastors work through the logistical details of day-to-day -day ministry. And so I'm just, I'm really curious, I mean, as you're surveying the landscape and as you did research for this book, I mean, what are some of the things that uh, you saw that were creative that are helpful to pastors, especially as they're thinking through some of the cultural tensions and the hostility that uh, they've been facing uh, this past year in particular, but in general. Yeah, I love that. Um, I'll tell you a story that I'm, that I haven't written yet, but it's, but it's coming. Um, and this is another really creative solution. You guys, I don't think people think of creative solutions. I think God gives them and like leads them one step at a way. I don't think people know, like, this is where I'm going. Every time I ask people are like, I don't know, we just try to do this. And it seems like it worked. And I don't know. It's, you know, they just, it almost feels like they're stumbling into it. Um, but I will tell you one thing, side note, if you ever have a problem or an issue and you hear some people say like, okay, we're just going to get a couple people together regularly to pray about this. That's where I want to be because like in two to five years, that's going to be a story. That's going to be amazing. I can't tell you how many stories I tell that started with, I don't know, we didn't know what to do. So we just started regularly praying together. Um, there is a guy in the Chicago area named Bruce Strom, and he's an attorney and I'm going to, his story is great as well. It is, it's totally about justice. He was in a church called Fox Valley Evangelical Free Church. Um, and he's still there and he was, um, he was concerned. He was, his God was moving in his heart to do something with, um, like legal aid societies. And so he started one Saturday a month, he'd do legal aid out of his church, um, which his pastor let his pastor had no idea what that was and just let him start going with it. And so he helps people like he brings in, he's now in over 40 locations. And so pastors or I'm sorry, attorneys will volunteer and they'll go in on Saturdays for a couple of hours and people will come to them with stuff like, um, why is my social security check smaller than it used to be? Okay. It turns out somebody stole your identity. So let's get that fixed for you. Or like, how come my truck payments are killing me? Oh, it turns out somebody's charging you 45% interest or man, my husband took my kids away. Um, how can I get them back? Well, let's help you work on that. Or all the, all the ways that injustice is happening. Like we talk about justice, like as this big thing, and it is a big idea and thing we need to talk about. But injustice is also the granular day-to-day -day payday loans. And um, man, this immigrant worked lady worked for a long time for, um, she was a caregiver for a woman. Then the woman passed away and her long lost niece said, hey, what were you doing all those years and sued her to get that money back? Um, and they were able to help her as well. Just like all the little ways that, that um, people who are poor and under-resourced are being taken advantage of to come right down in there into that day-to-day, -day, everyday, almost mundane problems and help there. Like that's a creative way to work on the justice situation that moves the needle. Yeah. So good. Thank you, Sarah. I mean, I, I love that story. And especially as we're dealing through the cultural tensions, it's so important to remember that God is doing things like that. Uh, and so thanks for being on with us. Uh, we've been talking with Sarah Zylstra, senior writer and faith and work editor for the Gospel Coalition, along with Colin Hansen, the co-authored their recent book, Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. We want to encourage you to go ahead and get that. And thanks to you for listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content for ministry at churchleaders.com. 
And if you found our conversation today helpful, we'd love for you to take a few moments to leave us a review on iTunes. That'll help ministry leaders find our podcast even easier. Uh, and if you uh, use Faith Play app, uh, you can find our podcast and other podcasts like this, both on Android and Apple devices. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.